Welcome back, Life Group Leaders, to another week of the Life Group Leader Podcast. This is Pastor Evan, and I'm waiting for Pastor Hayden's noise. And we here at Compass Bible Church. <laughs> oh, what do we do here? What are we doing here? We're, we're here. We're making disciples. We're making disciples. That's what we do here at that's Compass Bible we Church. Do. We make disciples by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ. And <laughs> he lost it. <laughs> oh man! And training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching teaching and training i did that on purpose your comedic timing is perfect so it's too good well i appreciate that well no what's too good is that we are finishing the book of well the letter to the colossian church this is it last sermon we started in september and now here we are in june here we go well we are wrapping up compass bible church the book or the letter to the colossian church by Diving into Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, didn't leave it behind, Mm-mm. and the final two verses, verses 17 to 18. So let me read the, those verses to us right now. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas, and say to Archippus, Archip- what is uh, I'm going to say Archippus. Archippus, all right. Archippus. Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All right, Pastor Hayden, no pressure. This is the last sermon of Colossians. So what is the main focus that we should look forward to in this coming Sunday sermon? I think it's fitting that the last uh, thing that we're going to look at and focus on is maintaining a high view of God, uh, because that's really what Colossians is all about, is the exalted Christ, the Savior of the universe, the Lord of the universe. And what we're going to look at here uh, through these few verses is how maintaining a high view of God is crucial. If you want to persevere in ministry through every season of life, there's going to be seasons in your life where it's easier, some where it's harder. Uh, and we're going to see some people who did a good job, some people who gave up. And uh, really the, the goal of us uh, persevering in ministry has everything to do with maintaining a high view of God. And so we're going to do that this week. We're going to have four points, an extra point this week. Uh, oh, look at that. Now we got four people to, to discuss and uh, four people to preach about. And so we're going to look at uh, how you can use your own profession for ministry and how it not it's not only an option, but it is a, an expectation that you use your profession for the work of ministry. Uh, and when we talk about Luke, the beloved physician, we're going to look at Demas and how Demas is, is, a, is a bad example of perseverance and how he actually deserted Paul. We're going to look at that. Uh, and we need to realize that the reason that he got distracted was because uh, he had a love for this age that uh, really transcended his love for God. And uh, he had a low view of God. We can just put it simply that way. And so that's really point number two is uh, making sure we don't get distracted by a love for this age. Uh, and the third person we're going to talk about, Archippus, right? He's got a ministry to fulfill. And, it, and for us, it, we need to look at that and say, we got to focus on God's mission. And uh, just like Archippus did, just like the, there was many that went before him, even in this letter, who fulfilled their mission well. And so he has a lot of great people to look up to that we were looking at in previous verses. And so we need to make sure ourselves that we're stayed focused on God's mission. And as we look to the last verse, Paul says, uh, remember my chains. I mean, what a way to end a letter, to be frank. He says, remember the suffering of the ministry. And for us, we need to understand that we have to 
expect in, in some way a measure of suffering. If you've been faithful to Christ for very long, you've dealt with trials and suffering that are uh, attached to your faith. They're not just something that happened by coincidence. Uh, if you have been a faithful Christian for long enough, you have suffered in a way because of your faith. And so uh, remembering his chains, remembering why Paul was in those chains is uh, pivotal to understanding uh, our faithfulness and why we have to persevere and why it takes a high view of God to do that. Uh, and then uh, at the end of all that, we're going to look at the last few words that Paul says, grace be with you. I love that because there's so much in this, this letter and so many commands, right? So much expectation for the church. Uh, and we see at the end of this, but grace be with you. Well, that leads us right into the insights you have for us into the text as mm -hmm. you've been studying this, is that you mentioned to me earlier and you wrote down in your notes that this is the first time that phrase is kind of mentioned in the mm -hmm. letter to the Colossians. So kind of expound upon that for us to have uh, so that we can better understand this whole letter now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an inclusio is what it is. If you go back to the beginning of Colossians, you see in verse 2, uh, Paul says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so here we have Paul introducing the letter to Colossae as grace to you and peace from God our Father. And obviously that's through Jesus Christ, and you see that uh, in, in other letters as Paul introduced it. Just a little bit different here in Colossians, but in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So obviously the grace extended to us is uh, from God through Christ, and uh, the letter's tone is set in the lines of grace. And so as he preaches grace and he preaches Christ, uh, we go all the way through and we see a lot of commands and a lot of expectations for the church and a lot of, uh, a lot of hard things that we have to, to do and to live like as Christians and things we need to understand. And there's just a lot there. Uh, but I love it at the end, after he talks about everything that he wants to address, he ends the way he begins by saying, hey, grace be with you. Grace to you, right, in Christ, then grace be with you as you're living in Christ. And I love that because it's like, hey, when you succeed, Christ. When you fail, Christ. I mean, all of those things, there is grace to you and grace is with you. Uh, and, and your success and failure isn't what determines the outcome of this. It's the grace you have in Christ, the unmerited favor you have in Christ. Uh, and I think it's so important after we're going to talk about the high view of God, the, the perseverance that we're supposed to have, and even the suffering that we're going to, to, to be a part of as Christians. And then he ends by grace be with you. I think that is such a comfort to the Christian to say it is grace that sustains us in our success and grace that upholds us in our failure. Awesome. Well, there are four names, as you mentioned, but there is someone that is going to be very familiar to us, and that is Luke. Mm. Now, in the Bible trivia game, if you say who wrote the, mo the most books of the Bible, you say Paul. But if you mm. say who wrote most of the New Testament, who would that be, Pastor Hayden? Yeah, you would have to say Luke. Like Luke wrote more words in the New Testament than any other author, including Paul. Paul wrote more of the letters, but when you want to do word count in the Greek, uh, because we have to look at Luke, Luke and Acts, and Luke wrote those. He wrote more words in the New Testament than anyone else. That's a big deal. Why is that a big deal? Why is it a big deal? It's a big deal because, you know, we, we understand the promises of God to include the Gentiles, right? And Luke is a? Gentile. He's a Gentile. Paul's a Jew. So what's what's the big deal here? I mean, the big deal is that even in the, in the New Testament, you see God fulfilling his promise by having a Gentile writing 
more words in the New Testament than any other author. I mean, that is just, I mean, that's a fulfillment of God's promise in the Old Testament to include the Gentiles in his redemptive plan. That's just, a, that's just a cool thing. It is, and it's a little ironic that the only other time that we really see a Gentile being an author of any part of the uh, the old the Old Testament or the last two Psalms, mm-hmm. sorry, last two Proverbs that are written by Gentile kings, mm-hmm. and then here we go. Majority of the New Testament is written to, written by a Gentile who was saved by the hearing the gospel proclaimed by Paul, from Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just really great. I mean, it's really great to see God's promises fulfilled, and you wouldn't notice that if you didn't study your Bible. But in studying your Bible, that should give you a whole lot of confidence that God's a God of promises. Well, speaking of studying your, our Bibles, what is a helpful cross-reference that we can have as we learn about the, end, well, the ending of Colossians, and especially with Paul's words saying, remember my chains? I, I wrote down Romans 5. If you look at Romans 5, 3 through 5, it talks about the sufferings that we encounter as Christians, and it says this in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. There's that word, right? Endurance comes because we suffer. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Now, I, I want to stop right there in the middle of verse 4, because you can logically uh, logically conclude that it's because of suffering that we have hope. Now, you can, theologically, right, we have hope because Christ suffered, right? And our own suffering produces an opportunity and capacity for hope. And that means, like when you think of Demas, Demas loved the present world, right? He left. His hope was not was not in on Christ. His hope was on the the what he could get out of the world. And I love this because you have to you have to lean in to suffering. You have to lean into uh, the kind of the trials in the Christian faith. And it actually does the very opposite thing that you would think it would do. You would think that leaning into suffering would uh, would would make you despaired and it would give you all the problems. But here it tells you that Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Even all that, why can I, like, how can I have hope through suffering? Because I have the Holy Spirit, and He's going to produce those things in me. And so that's why I can't think about my suffering. I can't think of uh, my perseverance strictly from a human perspective, because I have the partnership, right, of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And so what may not be true in a secular context, right, is going to be even more true in this context because of my spiritual standing with God. And so when I look at that verse, I'm like, wow, it's so important. Endurance is such an important aspect of hope, right? You know who's going to endure? Those who have hope. You know who's going to have hope? Those people who suffer and endure and their character produces hope, and that hope doesn't put us to shame. I mean, you have to endure. It's part of the Christian life. And we see this played out in our daily Bible reading as we have gone through Acts chapter 5, where the disciples were brought before the council and at the end were beaten for their faith. But in verse 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Christ. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus, and we learn later in chapter 6 and chapter 7 chapter 8 that the church continues to grow despite what they're going through, despite the sufferings, because they have the Holy Spirit in them, mm-hmm. and they're focused on the hope that God has given them through Jesus Christ. Yeah, so much to say there. There's a book at the end I'll recommend 
uh, just to show you the suffering endurance that the early church even had and how that endurance cr- produced character, right? And that character produced hope, and it was that character of the early church and faithful Christians today and that hope that really makes them stand out in, in the world as uh, people who love the Lord, right? It's not the people who, you know, endure for a while until the riches of the world choke them out or until the, t- the temptations or per- persecutions, you know, weed them out. I mean, those are examples Christ uses in the Gospels of people who aren't faithful. But the ones who are are the ones who allow endurance to produce character, and that character produces hope. And that's what stands out in this culture and this world that we live in. So if you're a Christian, you need to expect uh, the suffering so that you can produce endurance, so you can have character, so you can produce the hope that doesn't put us to shame through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, we need to shift gears now towards the application question direction. So you have written out for us uh, five questions for us to tackle this week with our life group to be able to lead them and uh, guide them as we dive into God's Word. But what is the direction you want us to have in mind while leading our life groups this week? Again, like every week, drive home the need for your life group. Pay attention, life group leaders. Drive home the fact that we need to answer these in how we're going to apply it to our life. Like, what am I going to do now because of blank? And not, you know, here's some things I thought were interesting about those verses or about that question. What am I going to do? Right? Like verse, uh, question number two. Like Adam, how can you use your profession to accomplish God's will? In, in what ways, in what tangible real-life ways can you accomplish God's will using your profession. So that's the direction. I want you to go that way. But I love question number two because we're talking about our our work and our professions and how we can glorify God. And we're going to go back to the beginning and how Adam's role in the garden was to glorify God through his work. I mean, God placed him in the garden to reflect uh, the character of God, to reflect the 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 rulership uh, of God, to reflect the dominion of God over creation and he said adam go rule and and have dominion over over all of the things of the earth and just doing those things uh points you back to the character of god and so the fact that we're made in god's image means that we should reflect the image of god the way that we work so really our work is not about us it's about god and it's about reflecting the character of god and so i love that in question number two we're going a little bit of a cool direction there by going to the old testament to kind of prove and, and kind of drive home the point that we're making uh, at the beginning. So those are some cool little insights. I mean, uh, like I said, make sure we can help our, our group focus on how they can apply each question to their own life today, tomorrow, and this week. All right, Pastor Ian, you have written down a resource for us. And so what is the resource that we can have on our bookshelves as we dive into these life groups this week? This week? The one I mentioned earlier is called Church History in Plain Language. I love it because uh, if you're like me, you're like, man, I, I want to hear church history in a linear fashion in a, in a way that I can understand what it's saying. And Church History in Plain Language is great. I'm actually listening to it on Audible right now. Uh, and I love it because it just shows you like how faithful uh, a lot of saints were to, uh, to, to be used by God, even in, in ways that led to suffering and led to death in a lot of ways and led to persecution almost always. Uh, and how it was their uh, confidence in Christ, it was their uh, endurance that led to character, and that character uh, gave them hope, and that hope didn't put them to shame, and the power of the Spirit sustained them through all of these things, and then I'm reading about them. It's like, 
you know, they didn't think that they were going to be read about a thousand years later, but here we are because they were just being faithful. And I just can't imagine the, the impact that we would have on, uh, on Christianity, on the world, if we would just be faithful and allow the suffering to produce endurance and the endurance that we have to, to produce character and that character we have produced the hope. I mean, that's really the life of the Christian. We have hope and it won't put us to shame. So all the other things that we deal with, we should persevere because we have such a high view of God that he's going to accomplish his will and he's going to use us in whatever capacity he deems uh, desirable for him, for his glory, to fulfill his will. And that is a high view of God. Another book that maybe uh, would help be helpful as well, kind of a companion, would be the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. It's a little bit, I would say, harder to read. It's a little bit older in the English. Very old. Very old. And so it's another one that if you get through church history in plain language, Fox's Book of Martyrs is a good one to learn about the different martyrs and how they suffered but held on to the hope. All right, Pastor Hayden, you have some training for us as life group leaders, to primarily how to minister to weak Christians and even potentially non-Christians in our group. So start us off and then I'll you know, chime in when I have a chance. Yeah, this is uh, you know, something that we're all dealing with in the midst of uh, growing church, growing life groups, is we know that life groups are uh, what we would consider membership at our church. And so you're, I mean, obviously you're going to hopefully have strong, robust uh, Christians in your group and you shouldn't got to lead them. Uh, but what we often find challenging is not leading the stronger Christians. It's leading the, either the weak Christians <clears throat> that are new to the faith or aren't discipled, or even realizing that there's probably some people in your life group who aren't saved, who don't have the spirit and yet they're here, and God has stewarded to uh, steward them to us uh, to disciple. Because discipleship isn't just post-conversion, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, discipleship happens pre-conversion. Evangelism is a part of discipleship. It is a part of discipleship, and so you have to, uh, you know, consider your part in the pre-conversion discipleship of the people in that are visiting your life group. And we see that in the Great Commission when it says being you know, baptizing them. Well, in order to be baptized, you have to be converted. So mm-hmm. we're supposed to teach people who Christ is and the gospel, and they get converted, then we baptize them. So that's part right. of discipleship. In Romans 15, 1, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And so it's really our job uh, to, to help our, our groups uh, be strengthened. And I know it's going to be hard because you're going to be in your life group, and you're going to deal with... Uh, the weak Christian or maybe even the non-Christian, which we, that should be the exception, not the rule. I mean, I'm not saying you have non-Christians rolling around in all of our life groups, but you're inevitably going to have them. Uh, and, you know, for instance, I had some in my life group, uh, you know, over the past few weeks. And you can tell, you know, when, when you're diving into discipleship and people are bringing their non-Christian friends, well, sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable. And, you know, I've preached many sermons where people have come up to me afterwards and said, you know, I wish you wouldn't have preached that that hard or that difficult text. I brought my non-Christian friends here, and I was hoping you would preach on something a little bit more easy for them. And it's like, hey, you know, it, it's discipleship has, has a large breadth, and it's it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard, and you have expectations, and you got to manage expectations for everyone. But what you know is always true is the Word of God. And so as you're discipling these people, always go back to the Word of God. And your preference have to take a back seat. Your own desires have to take a back seat. Uh, even Romans 15, 1, we're going to bear those failings of those who are weak, but we're not here to please ourselves. And so you're going to have expectations for your group. Right? You're going to have desires for your group. Uh, but sometimes, even like me, I was talking to some a faithful couple that I love this morning, and I'm like, you know, I've been des- I've been talking about and dreaming and praying about church planning for nine years almost, and uh, 
the whole I've had a dream and a vision of what church planning should look like in my mind. And uh, I get here and it's like, yeah, yeah, there's some similarities, but there's a lot more uh, dissimilarities. Right? There's a lot more things that are different because what we have here is real people and real church, not uh, imaginations that we have towards to the perfect church because it doesn't exist. And so what we have to do is we have to minister to those who are here. And uh, if you got a new Christian, uh, the goal is to put your arm around them. And maybe they, they're uh, what we call high maintenance. And that's okay. We all have high maintenance people in our life. You need to care a little more. Because if you believe in God's sovereignty, that God has placed everyone in your group for a purpose, then you have a responsibility for those people. Uh, but you also have a responsibility for those who are strong and maturing. And so it is, uh, it is a hard place to be, and that's why we're talking about it right now. I mean, it is not easy to manage both the mature people in your group and the weak and even uh, the chances that you have non-Christians in there. And all I'm saying is it is your, right, your expectation, your responsibility to, uh, to nurture them to disciple them and to help them in, in their next steps. And I know it's not going to be easy, uh, but it is our responsibility. Anything you would add to that? I want to build upon what you said earlier. It's always circling back and asking the question, you know, what does the Bible say? If mm-hmm. it's someone who is a non-Christian or maybe a weaker Christian who is learning uh, about the Bible more and has questions for you about after life group or during group and it's always like, okay, what does the Bible say? Rather mm-hmm. than just giving the answers to them to say, okay, what, is the, what do you think the Bible says? It makes them understand that your foundation is not built on your opinions or your your smarts, but it's built on the foundation of God and his word. Yeah, and you know, to, to kind of help you out to see why it's not a stumbling block to have three of these group kinds of people in your group is simply this. Jesus did all of his ministry within mixed company. Okay, and and we we're expected to do the same. And so you should be able to disciple and lead your group in mixed company with the strong and the weak and even the non-Christian, because, you know, that's oftentimes how discipleship takes place. And so look at every opportunity in your group as a discipleship opportunity. Always go back to the Bible. And, and understand that God is sovereign. He's placed these people uh, here for such a time as this, if you want to quote Esther, which we have uh, been reading in our daily Bible reading. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, that's a, a quick little training for you guys. And no, we know you're dealing with that. And so uh, if you have questions about that, we'd love to dialogue and talk to you and maybe shed some light and some counsel in that particular area. Uh, but we do know that's happening. And uh, as we grow... Uh, we're gonna. We need more leaders, and so as you guys pinpoint leaders, let's get them through that development process, so we can continue multiplying and uh, decide, making disciples as God builds His church. And a couple more things to add is that one, we want to make sure we're doing two things. One, we're abiding in Christ; mm-hmm. that we we can't do anything, quoting John fifteen, we can't do anything without him. So we need to make sure that we are abiding in Christ as we lead these life groups. And remember, you're not a facilitator, you're, you're a leader and mm-hmm. you're shepherdettes to the right. under shepherds to the shepherd. <laughs> and the next thing you need to remember is to make sure that you're bearing one another's burdens. As Pastor Hayden, mm-hmm. you preached on last week, you leading this life group, it's sacrifice. It's going to be uncomfortable. So leading you know, the, the weaker Christians through their failings is going to take time, effort, and energy mm-hmm. from you, but it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then leading the strong Christians is going to be take time, effort, and energy, and it's a good thing. And then leading the non-Christians to Christ will be very tiring, very energy, you know, take a lot of energy, but it's a very good thing. To be able to lead someone to Christ is an amazing thing to be a part of the process, to be the watering or seeing, uh, to nurture, and whatever God decides with the growth is a 
wonderful thing to be a part of. So find hope in that. Yeah, and, and to mention, to the, if you have, if you believe you have non-Christians in your group, you don't have to feel the the pressure to water things down. Right, that is often what we do. We we, we think is the right answer to water things down because you have non-Christians. In. That's not what we're supposed to do. Right, you have a responsibility to disciple the group. We have a responsibility as pastors to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. Well, a non-Christian is not by definition of scripture, a part of the flock. And so we have to focus on the flock, but we don't leave out uh, the lost, right? We would, will include them, but we include them while not neglecting who we have. And so you focus on the flock that God has that is saved and redeemed. Uh, and in that, we, we pray that the overflow of that would, would serve to convict and draw uh, the non-Christian and that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and bring them to repentance and faith. Is that helpful? That is extremely helpful. Okay, and one good. thing you can do is just spend one-on-one time with each people, each person of your in your life group or couples. Mm-hmm. And if you, I know one, that, a group that we led that had an a, a outspoken, I mean, he's a very kind person, uh, non-Christian, but it's like, hey, grab coffee this person maybe at the church at compass coffee co mm, but here's yeah. a great opportunity to slow down and as you always tell us to walk slowly through the crowd mm-hmm. walk slowly through your life group and to make sure you're you're te- you know making sure you're leading the flock mm-hmm. but then making sure that you're reaching the lost and sometimes it's just slowing down sacrificing some time to say hey let's get a late coffee early morning coffee right or to do something that we can talk about the things that we're talking about in life group that is kind of over their heads in a way yeah, and as we close this little bit of training, it's not that you have to, and I know Pastor Evan said it, uh, you know, you, know, you have to spend time with everybody, but it doesn't mean you have to set a, an hour every day or every you know month or whatever to meet with everyone in your group. I mean, it is walking slowly through the crowd. Make sure you're engaging with the people at your life group. If you would spend a diligent 30 minutes on uh, whatever night you meet, kind of walking slowly through a crowd, you can probably get to everyone in your group and have a pretty... Uh, substantial conversation with uh, men with the men, gals with the gals, you could be amazed. You would be amazed at how uh, connected you'd be with your group if you connected with uh, each person there during your life group uh, fellowship time during your uh, during your study. All right. Well, that wraps up our training life group leaders. Now we have a few announcements. Uh, Pastor, hey, do you want to take on the first two? Yeah, first two. Compass Coffee Co. is open in the lobby of the church facility, open on Sundays. If you want to serve in that, you can reach out to us, reach out to my wife, Kayla. She would help love to get you guys plugged in. And we'll let you guys know in the next few weeks when that bad boy opens up throughout the week. And we hope that you guys begin coming to the church and uh, you know, meeting and doing discipleship and partners and Bible studies and meetings here at the church during the week. You mean holy boy. Holy boy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then we have uh, a bookstore open. We're going to be adding titles uh, throughout the next few weeks and Bibles there for you guys to purchase. And uh, yeah, make sure that if you need a Bible, want a Bible, need some Bibles for people in your group, point them to the bookstore. It's a great place to get uh, resources for your spiritual growth. All right. And uh, we have launched off our kids' summer camps already. Mm. Science camp wrapped up on Thursday, and it was amazing. We had 55 kids. It was a blast. It was a blast, scientifically. Scientifically. But we had 55 kids at science camp, and we're excited for art camp coming up next week. So registrations are open until Sunday evening. And right now we're at 70 kids registered for our camp. 72 kids now registered. So it's growing, so keep reaching. And also don't forget Camp Compass coming up on July 12th. And so we want to make sure we're reaching the community for Christ. All right, guys. We are so grateful for you. Praying for this week. 
and looking forward to hearing all that God is doing in your life group. Thank you.